welcome to Compelling Communicators, a podcast where we learn some golden communication truths from compelling communicators from wide-ranging fields, including teaching, mediation, youth work, mental health nursing, counseling, expressive arts modalities, and community development. In this episode, we meet Larissa Conte, a leadership coach, rites of passage guide, and founder of Wayfinding, an organization that seeks to cultivate power that serves the whole. We dive deep, quickly, exploring Larissa's unique perspectives on how communication is, in essence, an exchange between all living things and the sensing required to do this. Larissa's core value of reciprocity highlights how, for her, communication centers around giving and receiving and serves to enable the relationship we have with ourselves, other humans, and all living systems. Listen out for discussions of where patterns of disconnection and connection fit into her understanding about communication and where each path leads us to as humans. How listening for the unspoken when we and others speak or the story under the story we are sharing is a critical communication skill. What makes up the tonal quality of communication and why the heart is as vital a part of the body's communicating systems as the ears, and how Larissa's description of the heroic act of learning to communicate with each other is her call to action for us all. Over to Larissa to introduce herself. So my name is Larissa Conte. I'm the founder of an organization called Wayfinding. And we help leaders amplify power that serves the whole. So we focus on leadership development and raising power literacy for leaders around the world to be stewards of more regenerative power in the workplace. Fantastic. And communication will be core to that. And we'll get into that shortly and and have a wonderfully juicy conversation about it, I'm sure. Uh, Before we go there, what's a value that's really important to you in your life in general? Oh, one of the first ones that comes is reciprocity. It's a very important value to me. Um, In the interdependent nature of life and our inextricable ties to each other and the larger living world, whether we're aware of them or not, when we engage in reciprocity, it's an honoring of the exchange that is inherent in relational contact. And so um, to me, reciprocity is actually a form of communication. So in the flows of giving and receiving, how can we honor each other in those flows and recognizing we are graced by so much in life? So you've started to dive into communication and what it means to you. And part of that is the giving and receiving, the um, understanding or maybe the, 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 the non-cognizant understanding that we are in relationship with everything, everybody and everything around us. And that the two and the back and forth is, is, is the very essence of life. What does, based on 
if if that's accurate, if that if that rings true to you, from my paraphrasing of what you've said, do you want to add to it? No, you're or, nailing it. Let's keep going. Or do you do you want to um, move into from that idea of reciprocity? fundamentally what communication as a concept means to you Mm -hmm. in this moment the way I will articulate it which I'm going to give the listeners a sneak peek in what I'm doing is I'm not connecting to my mind I'm connecting to my body so I'm presently connecting and communicating from my sensing of what wants to speak through me as a demonstration of the definition as much as the definition that I'll speak is that to me communication is our attempts both spoken and unspoken to express the energy of life to ourselves and others. So it is our translation of the wordless vibrational nature of reality into some other form such that it could hopefully be understood by another being. So in that regard, communication is a vehicle that allows relationship to weave, to be woven, to be enriched, or to be diminished, to be eroded, to be cut. So you speak of what in common parlance would be verbal and nonverbal communication. You know, when we when we learn about communication, there's always the 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 old adage of you know we communicate more with our body non-verbally than we do with our words and yet we know as communication practitioners both you and I that communication is um the essence of life and exchange which is what I've heard you say uh, for good or not so good outcomes mm-hmm. uh, essentially it as you say it's the vehicle for enabling relationships Um, and relationships, I imagine for you, are at the core of everything. Yeah, one of the core um, distinctions for me is in my own awareness of the worldview I hold. When am I operating from a story or a belief of disconnection and isolation, that I'm an independent agent, that I am not connected to my neighbors, to my watersheds, to other living beings, to people all the way around the world, to the cosmos. And when am I operating from uh, a belief and a worldview of connection? And that fundamentally in my work at Wayfinding and my understanding of power, this connective capacity, the connective perspective is one in which Wholeness is centered. And when wholeness is centered, when all of the nodes in a net are considered and we uh, have to sense from that place, 
when we are communicating on behalf of the whole, when we are inquiring into the well-being of the whole, then we must fundamentally be relational. Mm. And then my communication and my sense of what I am communicating to and who I am communicating on behalf of grows so much larger. And when that perspective gets larger, how I communicate fundamentally changes because I'm not speaking just from the sense of the isolated self, but I'm actually speaking to the life family or I'm speaking to, um, you know, any different sphere within that. So you raise consciousness as a critical component, like a core skill area. Um, it's interesting, Larissa, because I'm I'm part of the purpose of this podcast is to is to provide the listeners um, who probably initially were my students when I was conceptualizing it because I teach communication um, and trying to understand to break it down for them and sort of find the core components. Um, I think one of the elements that I hear from you is that consciousness, the awareness of the narrative story that we tell ourselves, which I know is a central part of your work, which is that inner, the inner story that we hear and then we act on and that we then perpetuate out into the world that becomes, that is our worldview, part of our worldview. Um, and I hear you say, oh, which, which can be helpful or it can be not, um, but it means that people respond to us in that way. But I hear you talking about the enhanced consciousness that means that we can start to <clears throat> connect in much more fundamental ways because we're understanding ourselves better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I one way to demonstrate that because like this is a lot of words and people can be like, whoa, I'm already lost. Or like, what is happening? I'd like to share a quote from Rumi. And, and because Rumi was a Muslim, Rumi was Islamic. This is a translation of Rumi's poetry um, into English. This is a quote that has stuck with me for maybe going on two decades now. Anyone who steps into an orchard walks inside the orchard keeper. So when I started and I was speaking about communication, both verbally and non-verbally, the things we create reflect ourselves as creators. What we design, what we write, what we compose, what we paint, the buildings we create, the family structures we create, the cultures that we fuel are all a reflection of our consciousness and our sense of awareness. So in that quote, we see that the orchard tells us perhaps more about the orchard keeper than it does about the nature of an orchard. Mm, that's and that's the same thing for communication, that communication is always telling us about the communicator yeah and you speak to the work that you do you've started already to speak to the work that you do in relation to how we are able to use our skills and talents in the world through the methods by which we choose to communicate or we do communicate. Uh, that goes to the question, the very prosaic question is how do you use communication in your work? <laughs> Please explain. Oh. <laughs> if communication enables relationship, then communication 
must consider the communicator and the receiver, which we can call our audience. Um, in work, that's work parlance, you know, but it's like, I'm communicating to people. And if I were just to communicate the essence of my being solely so I can feel fulfilled in my expression that may or may not take into account the people I'm speaking to and what they care about and what their needs are. And in the workplace and working with leaders, I use communication, not just in a way to foster like understanding and better collaboration, which absolutely I do, but I use communication to help illuminate the things that we don't talk about and the things that are subtle. So pointing to what is often left out of the, the conversation at work, because I care about our wholeness. If we were to be more effective collectives in our collaboration to face these large global challenges of our time, part of our ability to collaborate is our ability to understand each other as whole beings. And so much of the workplace um, historically and at present still has communicated that our whole selves aren't welcome or aren't allowed and aren't valuable to be efficient producers. And that is a fundamental untruth. It is actually from our wholeness that we tap into our greater power and are capable. So power, here's a quick aside. I define power as the capacity to move energy through systems. So like a watershed can move an amount of water. If we as change agents wish to move a large amount of energy through our systems, we have to be able to experience that energy, we have to flex the capacity, the skills we have in moving it. And communication is one of those fundamental skills. So when there's blockage in a relationship, when there's blockage in a team, can we actually name what's happening? Can we name that subtle snag in disconnection that occurred? Can we have conversations about the worldviews that are actually operating underneath the layer of conversation about hiring, things like that. So for those to unearth those hidden truths, let's say, you said to illuminate what is not said, um, or practiced maybe, or um, recognized, what, would you just what would you say your most helpful approach is when working in teams in workplaces? Mm, mm. One of the most powerful places to start is with our capacity for sensing. Because part of communication to sense that which is not said as as uh, you know, my mentors prior in my consulting life, they would say, what's the story under the story? What's the silent story? Because there's a, always a spoken story in every communication. 
And then there is a vibrational or tonal energetic communication happening. So for listeners, an example at work, uh, one, I'm going to speak the same sentence twice. And I invite you to feel the difference in vibration and what you think the story is under the story in both communications. We didn't see you at the meeting yesterday. What's up? We didn't see you at the meeting yesterday. What is up? So I exaggerated that, you know, there's a lot being communicated differentially through tone, but it can happen even more subtly of what are we trying to get at? What are we trying to say that we either feel is inappropriate to say, or that we're unconscious that we're even communicating? So you mentioned tone, which is something I think that people are aware of that concept you know we talk about tone in email we talk about tone verbally there is a I think there's a sense in discussion around communication around what that is there's still a lot of practice to be undertaken I think to get really good at analyzing and adapting one's own tone a question that I'm curious about is what because that was a really good example and it was quite an obvious example. What is mm -hmm. the, uh, which is helpful, what can you give, do you have a memory um, or a, a, an example of something that is so subtle um, in difference that you only just picked it up and it wasn't mm -hmm. about the voice as such, but it's a good example where the story beneath the story was different. The intention as well was different. Mm -hmm. I have I have tons of stories about this because this is also like what I coach people on. Um, and and while that story like bubbles up to be told, I'll say that as we're talking about tone, oftentimes in communication, tone can focus on the actual words we use. Are they like cordial words? Are they directive words? But I'm really talking about tone here in a musical vibratory sense. So, so there are the there are words that communicate tone. Then there is pitch of my actual voice that communicates tone. And then there is the tone of energy, which is silent. And so as we develop as communicators our sensing capacity, which sensing is our ability to perceive the life force, is our ability to perceive energy in its many forms, which like it, most the most basic sensing exercise we do at Wayfinding, and Rachel knows this, is sensing our aliveness. How alive am I? Am I at 100% aliveness? zero or somewhere in between. And by the way, you wouldn't be zero because you'd be, that's death's doorstep. So in that range, it's like, 
we often deny sensing our own aliveness. We deny the communication from our own body. So as we're developing our skills as communicators, starting with the communication from our own being, from our own wisdom, from our own like, whoa, I'm, my hackles just went up. Like, what is that? What's going on there? Those are wordless communications that, that are just vaults of riches within. And so in terms of a story, in terms of a story, oh, well, I, I'm just gonna trust this coming up. So when I was in college, uh, I, I had the amazing fortune to get selected to go on this research expedition through the Colorado River watershed in the United States, which is just a totally phenomenal watershed. The Colorado River is, um, uh, for listeners, it spans from the mountains, the Rockies in Wyoming and Colorado, uh, down through Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, California, and into Mexico to empty into the Sea of Cortez. It includes the Grand Canyon as part of its stretch. Um, most of its water goes to, uh, or not most, a very large amount of its water goes to keep the city of Los Angeles as large as it is in the arid west. And so it's this huge force and like circulatory system. And so water is a very contentious thing in the American West. And I was telling a story about it. I was giving a uh, presentation on on this just you know I fell in love with the Colorado River and the people the many many stakeholders who we spoke with the wildlife of the Colorado River and was telling the story and a man came up to me after and he was like you know I would like for you to come to my watershed and and I'm happy to help connect you to people and would love for you to tell the story of our watershed because there had been a similar amount of um what I non-technically call fuckery in the history of that watershed uh, that he wanted illuminated and that he had very, um, as I was to find out, very personally vested interests in the story being told. And one of the things he said is he was like, he was like, you know, I can connect you to these heads of the water board. I can connect you to all these places. And, um, and like, you could even focus your PhD on it. I'm like, wouldn't the sound of Dr. Conte have a nice ring? And then he just kept going. And, and I smelled that. I was like, God, that was weird. And then, at, and my friend and I ended up saying yes. And then we ended up going on this trip. And it took me many years to realize that what he was doing was he was using an ego lure. He was like dangling a carrot in front of my ego um, to come to come do this thing that he wanted me to do. And so this is where power comes in, in my focus on communication, is uh, when am I communicating? When are we communicating to serve our own self-interests? And when are we communicating with the real concerted effort um, to try to honor all parties involved, which doesn't mean violating our own boundaries but it means extending ourselves and recognizing um, you're a sovereign being, I'm a sovereign being, we're interconnected. Um, how do we find our fit way forward given the circumstances and our needs? And so that's that 
that story is actually uh it's perfect that that bubbled up because that type, that layer of communication is what I got so fascinated by because it can be so subtle the ways that we posture ourselves and tell stories or even um non-verbally communicate that we're above or below each other and the many many traps that that then lays in our communication mm, efforts that's a wonderful um story and remembering of a time later where you realized ah that was what was happening and and that speaks to i i imagine you're in your evolving ever evolving consciousness and intuition your sensing power um which is is critical to your practices i know um and i do want to uh, point out to the listeners at this stage that this so what 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 would be called in, intrapersonal communication in the in the canon of communication speak is what we're talking about that internal dialogue that we have that internal knowing whether we recognize it or not we have it um and you've been speaking to a development of that sensing that intuition another word for it actually is intuition another word for sensing uh yes it can be um there's there's a particular reason why i use the word sensing and why i don't use the word intuition um which is going to be a fun communication exploration. So um, I was just, thinking, I I was just thinking that because because one of the, the communication skills is to match words, isn't it? And to see whether they have similar resonance for us and we understand them to be the same. So we've just done a little communication dance. I've been saying, does, does is intuition equal your sensing? And you're like, yeah, a little bit, but I'm going to explain a bit more. So <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. So intuition... Um, the re I'll say the reason why I prefer the word sensing and I spend so much of my life and my profession um, selecting words for various purposes to really try and find again that that tone and so to me I enjoy sensing and I use sensing and have been consciously using sensing in my work for many years because in the status quo realm of work, words like intuition are still highly stigmatized. So we are very, very um, highly developed in our, in like modern dominant culture, we're oriented to the mind. So mental power and intellect are highly regarded. But there are many other forms of human intelligence beyond intellect. And intuition is another form of intellect. Sensing is another form of intellect. And because of the negative stigma that goes along with the word intuition, years ago, I made the decision. I was like, well, I'm just going to use the word sensing because it raises fewer red flags for people. And I actually found it more... Um, precise about what you're actually doing so when i say the word sensing versus when i say the word intuition it's like what do you what do you do when you intuit versus what do you do when you sense mm -hmm. and sense you're like oh i get that's more immediately available to understand mm -hmm. oh i actually feel 
I actually feel in my being. I sense in my being. I note in my body. It's a little bit closer. And so I found that that is more, not only more easily received by my audience as like, hey, I'm open to this, as well as it's easier for, for people to learn the thing that I'm talking about when I use that word. That's really helpful, Larissa. So that 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 understanding of us of our sense of something, it's right or it's okay or it's safe or trustworthy, but also the elements that we can break down around sight, smell, taste, touch, the sense that we bring to situations as well. So that's wonderful. Um, a helpful hook for people, I think, to understand, as you say, more translatable. Um, sensing is something that is core to your work. How did you, and, and the core to your understanding of communication as we have been discussing it so far in reciprocity with, with the world around us. How did you learn to communicate in the way that you do? Specific training experiences. I know you have some beautiful mm -hmm. stories, some, some very painful, others less so. What would you like to share with us? Mm, thank you. Um, many inputs to how I learned to communicate. Um, the first two main inputs in my life were my mother and my father, Barbara and Louis Conte, who um, love like insatiably curious beings who loved language, loved history, loved art, and also loved um, food and sensory experiences. And so as a family of four growing up with my parents and my older brother, we'd sit at the dinner table and and talk about these things. So the use of language to describe what's going on. Also, my parents were a psychiatrist and a psychiatric nurse. So they had a lot of understanding of the interior realm of being a human. And then a lot of my communication was informed by academia and being raised in a very uh, like high performing academic studying prior to university and then going um, to Stanford and again being honed in this particular type of uh, rigor in speaking but then this layer of poetry and reverence and humanity began to enter my focus and become part of my focus when my dad died when I was a senior in college. And I just, I had a, uh, I, I experienced a very painful communication from hundreds of people in a moment when I received the news that my dad was going to die. Um, he had had a stroke that put him into a coma. And then several weeks later, he had another stroke in, in the part of his brain that controlled his heart and his lungs. And I got that news on the cell phone um, this is in 2004 on my college campus at noon at the busiest moment, at the busiest intersection. So 12 during weekday, at like the busiest intersection, there's just like rivers of human beings. And I get this news and I fall to the ground wailing, uh, finding, you know, experiencing what wailing is, the, the loss of my father crushing down on me. And simultaneously feeling part of my awareness above my body, watching hundreds of people just walk and bike past me while I'm wailing at the top of my lungs. And I felt, 
I felt a heartlessness in that communication. And that occurred at the same time that I was doing my own master's degree at Stanford um, to investigate the origin of the belief that humans are separate from nature and Western civilization. And so I was just crushed with this searing sense of disconnect. And in that moment, I, I wanted to know what it felt like to be with humans who could hold each other through grief. I wanted to know what it felt like to regard each other, and, and this is like not the language that was there, but this is the language that's here now, but to regard each other in, in the true beauty and splendor that resides in each of us, that requires great love and recognition to emerge and unfold and integrate and come into expression in our beings. And so I um, began to seek out cultures of connection consciousness, which indigenous cultures around the world are the great carriers of that. I began to study wisdom traditions from around the world and esoteric traditions um, and have had the incredible fortune of, of learning from outstanding storytellers. Storytellers who but one, you know, first and foremost in that line being John Young, a teacher of mine in Nature Connection, um, another amazing storyteller and and speaker um, in my life who inspires me is Kumu Ramsey Tom. Kumu is a uh, term to describe a spiritual teacher in the Hawaiian language. Um, another incredible storyteller. Two others who come to mind immediately are Sabanfu Some from Burkina Faso, who's a teacher about ritual and grief, um, and Martine Prechtel, who is um, uh, born to a Swiss father and a Pueblo Indian mother, and then who traveled down into Guatemala and became initiated as a Tsutuhil Mayan shaman and chief. And to experience the poetic mythological layer of communication I found brought me alive in a way that purely staying in the realm and center of rationality did not water my soul. And that I learned coming back to tone, the mind, our minds are so powerful but also the mind can justify anything. Whereas but, the heart, the heart is that musical instrument that knows the tone. We can, we can perceive heartbreak very easily in others. We can perceive love very easily in others. Whether or not they say something you know, and especially like as you develop these capacities, it just, it's like impossible to hide. We we can think we're very good poker players, but when you get developed in sensing, <laughs> we radiate how we feel. Yeah. And that it's that tonal quality of existence that is actually, in my perspective, 
part of our greatest power as human beings. And so how do we become vessels conducive to the, those harmonious tones, those like most magnificent, beautiful qualities that wish to speak through us? And can we have the courage to feel and be who that path asks of us? Um, to me, all of that is wrapped up in communication and that can like feel kind of far ranging. Thank you for letting me go there, Rachel. Thank you for going there. Where I'm holding on to in the sea of complexity that is swirling around me now, listening to you, it's so beautiful and complex, is that idea of the heart as an instrument and the capacities that we have to, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, I'm going to ask the next question, which is, was around the impact <laughs> that you are looking for in others um, when you are communicating, for want of a better word, right, when you're doing your thing, when you are being who you are, um, what impact you're looking for in others. And I'm going to posit that, and you can tell me right, wrong, uh, anything else, that you might be looking for a heart that is singing or a heart that is open. Um, mm. Would you like to say more? Yeah, I'm getting, uh, I'm tearing up as you ask this question because um, my aim in communicating to others is to have them feel known, to have the greater self indwelling in each of us, which can so often feel ignored or clouded, obscured, forgotten. I aim to communicate in a way that has people know, I see you in there. Like, I see who you really are. I see who you can be. It's worth it. It's worth it. Keep going. Mm. Keep going. Mm. And like, all the handholds that I know, like, I'll, I'll show you all of them. Because like, the beauty and the gifts indwelling in you I not only want you to know that they're there, that you have them, that you can do it, that, <laughs> that like the task of bringing them to light and to embodiment will, will challenge you, but it will make you soar more than anything. And that we all need it. We all need you. I need you. I need you. That is also part of the reciprocity. Is that like, I actually need you. Mm. And so, so in so many ways, my communication is saying like, I love you. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and that is, there's a quote that I remember, um, 
short anecdote from from that it's coming up for me around uh, a woman who was involved in animal activism and releasing animals and that this will make this this will encourage tears for me too and she was she released animals she was verbally abused by people for doing it at the time she was physically attacked at the time for doing it because it's a contentious thing to do and at the end of this discussion people I think possibly asked her you know what what do you know what have you learned and she said that there is only love there's only love and it was it had such a strong resonance for me because in that telling of of the struggle and the fight and the justice and the release and the pain and the suffering of her and the animals she she was driven maybe that's not the right word but she was encouraging herself to see the love that was around her and the way that she wanted to act from that place of love that's what I hear in your in your sharings around how we need each other and how we need to love each other um, Mm -hmm. into being our best selves Mm -hmm. yeah and that brings up it brings up something I want to share that I've learned in in these distinctions in worldview because in disconnection consciousness when we believe that we're separate when we operate from the illusion when we tell ourselves the story because we are the stories we tell ourselves in one very powerful regard when we tell ourselves the story that we are separate from each other then it, it is okay for me to harm you yes that's right it is okay Yes. for me to ignore you. It is okay for me not care about what happens to you. It is okay for me to numb to your condition. But when we are interconnected, there isn't separation. Mm. I suffer when you suffer. Mm. That's right. And your well-being and thriving um, is connected to mine yeah and so mm. in the in the heroic in certain regards task of learning to communicate with each other part and like whoa uh mm. and the reason i'm saying that has is wrapped up in in millennia of history and worldviews um is that how do we learn to communicate with each other not as adversaries? Mm. How do we stand for what is true for ourselves and our own needs without feeling like we have to fight and attack? What does that even look like? What does that third way of not being above nor below someone else speak in communication? That is the path of communication that I am most interested. That is the path of communication that I do everything, you know, within my experience and capacity to offer tools for, as well as much more importantly, invoke curiosity about, because I frankly don't really care about having answers. I'm just more interested in all of us living that question together because that power with is that orientation is my understanding of power that serves the whole. When we do the inner work 
to track our own stories, our own narratives that say we're either better or worse than other people. To me, that is the most important realm of communication because it's also the origin from which we communicate to others because if it's okay to belittle ourselves, whew. Yeah, the next step is to be okay can to belittle belitt others. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely, that's beautiful. As we're drawing this wonderful, inspiring conversation, communication, exchange of ideas to a close, uh, I'm going to ask a question which we have been cir circling around and you have answered in, in a number of ways at a number of times, but I, I like asking it again. Um, mm. Is there a golden truth that you share with interested people about what you've learned from communication? This is one of the core wayfinding principles that is surfacing and feels completely appropriate right now, which is to follow the feeling, not the form. And that comes back to that piece around tone. When the difference between someone stumbling, literally stumbling over their words, maybe even crying, maybe even having tremulation in their voice to express how much they love you or how sorry they are. Compared to someone who has highly polished vocabulary choices delivered in a totally sterile manner where you don't know if they actually even mean what they're saying. It is so easy for us humans who are highly visual animals governed by our eyes and our sight to fixate on form. But when we close our eyes and we listen and we feel and we sense, we know you know, the sound of truth is like a bell that can't be unheard. So follow the feeling, not the form in your communication. And while yes, it's great to learn new vocabulary and learn new tricks and learn all these things. If anything made that translate into the realm of communication to being heartfelt, yes. then you don't need to be perfect. That's too much. But if you're heartfelt, wow, the things that will move in your life. Stunning. Larissa, how can people connect to you and your amazing work? Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm going to answer that question. And I first just want to say thank you. Because in like, in this reciprocity, I, I like, I can't talk about myself before saying like, thank you, Rachel. Thank you for your love of communication, for your dedication to communication. Thank you for this passion you have for teaching and for uplifting and empowering others such that you felt so inspired to seek out people who you 
get lit up by as communicators, to ask questions, to then share with each other. What an offering to the world. Thank you for these questions. Thank you for your listening because the listening that you embody, the listening we embody is also a demonstration of our capacity as communicators. And so like, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for asking and being in this intimate exchange together, which is all to say like, I love you. Thank you. Mm. That was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank and, you. And thanks for also letting us breathe together. Mm. Because sometimes we can't even breathe because we get uncomfortable in the feeling of what's present. So that's also a big part of communication. It's like when we're feeling a lot, can we breathe and stay with it rather than starting to talk so quickly again? That's part of what we miss in our speed. So anyway, thanks so much for all of that. So people can find me. Uh, my work is with Wayfinding is at wayfinding.io. And um, as a special gift for the lovely people who get to listen to your work, I want to offer a gift that using the code luminous at checkout for our program power at work which helps people understand power as it works in the workplace and through all of life we'll get you 15 percent off within two months of our publishing date and i also invite you to check out our vital leadership program which Rachel has experience and we are now offering as a self-paced offering so you can reclaim your sovereignty in how you work to make the way you work work for you. Thank you. Yes, I I highly recommend Vital Leadership Program, everybody. It's uh, it's exceptional. Um on that note, final question, as we are saying goodbye. I find it intriguing how people find themselves at that place of farewell. How do you, how do you like to draw communication to a close? Say goodbye to somebody, farewell them. Hmm. I like to honor endings because we get so uncomfortable with the big ending with death we can just kind of like, there's two often things that happen. So I'm gonna like talk about what I don't like to do before I do what I do like to do. I don't like to uh, prolong the like everlasting 12 hour goodbye because it's just been so great and let's just keep going. Nor do I like to brush endings off the table and really rush to the next thing because you and I have shared this beautiful moment and this moment itself has had a life cycle. So whatever that life cycle has been, what does it mean to end in a good way? That's the question I always carry in endings rather than like end by this recipe and then 
it'll, it'll all be perfect. Because again, I tend to follow the feeling, not the form. So the way I want to end is, um, I would love to end by asking you a question for she who has been holding the listening and the guiding through conversation in this hour together. As we bring this to a close, and as I thank you and express my love for you, what is one thing in this moment that you would like to offer to our listeners of this journey? Oh, what a sneaky strategy. <laughs> oh, that's such a beautiful question, Larissa. And I'm, what would I like to offer? I believe and trust that when we hold space for each other, you and I, as we have done, me and somebody else, another two people, a group of people, that when we hold space for each other, magic can happen. And magic takes many forms. Um, but the holding space, the being present, the allowing time when that is present magic happens thank you for inviting me into your magic thank you for coming to play in it <laughs> my total delight thank you larissa thanks rachel In this episode, Larissa has shared her golden truth of communication, that we follow the feeling, not the form. And to do this, try closing your eyes and sensing what is really being said. Allow your understandings to be heartfelt. My gratitude goes to Larissa for her time, wisdom and work, all shared with us so freely, fully and graciously. Find out more about her work at www.wayfinding.io and explore her offer to connect further with her work with the reduced rate code LUMINOUS. Go well, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compelling Communicators. Thanks to Nina Humphreys for composing the music you're listening to now. See you next time.